0: been through so many different versions of being in work and out of work at the moment I'm, I'm lucky and then I'm sort of having a, a, a very fortunate run in terms of how do you feel that time when it's six eight twelve months sometimes have gone past where there's been not an acting job and you're trying to tell yourself you're still an actor yeah it's a bit of a psychological trick you have to play on yourself really and I, I've sort of found that by trying to write, you know, write it, writing short films or, or even longer form things has been a good fill-in for that. At least it gives you a way of feeling creative.
1: There's no auditions, there's no script to learn, there's nothing here today, but I am going to exercise that muscle that I need to keep fit for when the phone does ring. How am I going to do it? I'm yeah. i create something.
0: Yeah. It then feeds into, I think, even just things like having ideas when you're on set, trying to fix something maybe between a couple of actors and a director and a producer working out why something's not working you're probably more inclined to have an answer to that that's australian
1: actor damon Harriman. and this is episode 262 of the osha ginsburg podcast Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsburg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsburg. Thank you so much for being here for episode 262 of the show with Damon Harriman. More about Damon in a moment. If you're new, welcome to this podcast. What is this show? This podcast is a conversation that you get to be a part of. A conversation designed to hopefully make today a little bit better than yesterday for you. Now, sometimes this conversation is going to be with a name that you know. Sometimes it'll be someone that you don't know. I guarantee no matter what, you're going to hear something that you need to hear today. Uh, Damon's an actor. You might not be an actor. Might have never dreamed of being an actor, but there's something about the way that Damon does what he does that you'll be going, oh, wow, there's something there that I can, yeah, I can take that. That's good. You'll hear something in the next hour and a bit, that will help make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's a promise. That's what I'm here to do. Uh, who am I? I am TV host, podcaster, author, husband, stepfather, heart rate monitor wearer, portrait photographing shooter, massage ball, face maker, kettlebell, Turkish get up chickpea eater, FaceTime wife calling expert, Bosher Ginsburg, And this is my show. Each Monday... Uh, me and Andy and Rachel, we make this show and we've done it for over five years. And I'm really, really glad that you're here. Super quick, a big thank you to everyone that is supporting the live shows that are on the way. My book, Back After the Break, it's also a live show, which is coming to Melbourne and Brisbane. Tickets for both gigs are at com, And it is uh, an, an amorphous moving thing. The show's changing a bit. I've got Mike Mills, I also know as Toa Haider, who does all the music from this podcast, and also the live show, i got Mike to write another song. We, there's another space in the show where, oh, you know, another song could slip in there. So we've put another, there's now a brand new song in the middle of the bit. You'll hear it if you come see the gig. The show's basically a live version of the book with songs where you'd normally have the montage in an action movie, all right, just to get us from bit to bit to bit. Um, there's also some songs in there that, because I'm not a very good actor, uh, there's songs in there that... You know, it's easier to tell the stuff because I'm singing with a guitar rather than, and then this horrible thing happened. Um, Because yeah, Uh, a big hello to everyone on the Facebook group. Uh, Some great feedback about last week's episode with Tani Schultz. Thank you so much, so much for that. If you want to get on the Facebook group, osher.is slash FB group. That's where you go. It'll take you straight there. Osher.is slash FB group. Um, there's a bit of a suggestion. Someone sent me a message on the Facebook group. Uh, a bit of a podcast crew meetup before the gigs. So, two in Melbourne, uh, one in Brisbane. Would you be into it? What do you reckon? Let me know. Let me know. I'll see, I'll see what I can do. I might need someone on point for that. I'm unfamiliar with venues that nearby, the venue that I'm playing in Melbourne and Brisbane. I've not lived in either city for a while. Melbourne, I've actually never lived there. Um, so, if it sounds like a good idea... Please let me know. Even if it's just five people getting together, have a cup of tea. That'd be great. A big thank you to all the brilliant Podsy pictures this week. A, a Podsy is something that I started on the show a couple of years back and it's actually really fascinating. It, what are you looking at right now as you're listening to this show? I just find it fascinating. And it's really great to share with everyone. Where do you listen to your podcast? I listen to my podcast when I'm working out. That's, that's why I love to listen to it. Unless I'm lifting really heavy, it, that's when I listen to Viking metal. I look, I like Viking metal. I like songs about you know, swords and and ships and oars and and Odin, okay, (laughs) helps when I'm lifting heavy things. Uh, But other than that, I I normally listen to podcasts when I'm on the bike, that's for sure. Um, So that's what I do when I'm listening to podcasts. I'd love to know what you're doing when you're listening to podcasts. Uh, it's It's a podsy. It's like a selfie, but a podsy. So you're probably listening to this on a phone. So just take a picture of what you're looking at right now and send it to me. Instagram is a great place to do it. Just tag me there or DM it. Or you can also just send it to me on an email, sandosheremail at gmail.com. My favorite podsy this week came from a brilliant researcher. She sent me a pic from her lab. Uh, It's a picture taken down the barrel of her microscope, examining 700,000-year-old frozen plankton, generating evidence to hand over to climate scientists to deduce the planet's natural cyclic changes versus what's happening at the moment, and then trying to figure out rates of change and, and at least, you know, compare and contrast, um, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. If Now, if you've read my book or listened to this show, you'll know that I actually got quite sick a while back and I, I flipped up into paranoid delusions about climate change. It was very, it was awful. I was having an irrational response, uh, a very irrational response to a thing that it's okay to be rationally afraid of. Um, when I got really sick... I'd write over and over and over in my book in the morning uh, that there were plenty of smarter people than me trying to work hard to figure things out, but it, it just wouldn't stick. And that's the nature of a paranoid delusion is that even when faced with absolute fact, your brain can't accept it as, as real. Even though it was true, my brain wouldn't believe it. And that's the problem with paranoid delusions. It was, it was really, really tough. But thankfully now I'm doing better, um, doing a lot better, thankfully. It's things like that that give me hope that indeed there are way smarter people than me working very, very hard to try and figure this out. And one of them, she listens to the show makes me thrilled. I still need to do my part. That's fine. But it does make me happy that there are very many very smart people, way smarter than me, working very hard to do what they can to help us out of this calamity. I'm not a plankton researcher. I'm not a climate scientist. But I am a voter. So what can I do? I can send faxes and emails and things to relevant politicians and, you know, donate money to those who know how to get things changed where they need to change. It's a simple thing to do. It doesn't take very long. Did you send your fax? I send, I try and send a fax. I, that's what I try to do. I try and send a fax in the week. It's easy to do. You just, you do it. You, you I know fax is an ancient piece of technology. I'll tell you that you just, you do it and then you send it. And then it's a small sense of power over a, a general outcome but it is a small sense of power because you have power. You're a voter. And I know that you're the kind of person that gives a shit. You wouldn't listen to the show if you didn't give a shit. You give a shit. So give a shit. It doesn't take much. I know faxes are an ancient form of communication. However, because it spits out something physical, there is someone at Scott Morrison's office whose job it is to take those faxes or take the email that they come to, print them out, and log each one of them. These are the th- these are the kind of things that get they get noticed. Faxes and letters that that's what gets noticed. Do you have five minutes to write a letter? Do you have five minutes to send a fax? I know it's super old school, but look, we're dealing with old white people here. Okay, I just downloaded an app to my phone. Um, it's a really cheap subscription. It's like five bucks a month or something, but allows me to send like up to fifty faxes a month. So that's what I use. It's like I said, it's super old school, but old white people, particularly old white people in power, that's the stuff that they respond to. The problem is that old white people don't give a shit about the world because they're not going to live in it. They don't care. So we've got to let them know that it's not okay what's happening. They won't live in the world, but you and me and our kids will. So take five minutes. You may not have ever thought of yourself as politically active, but I promise you, you are politically active. You're politically active every single day. You vote with your wallet. And with your actions, you buy biodegradable poop bags for your dog, that's a vote. That's a political move. You carry a water bottle with you, that's a vote. You carpool, that's a vote. You buy Australian produce where you can, that's a, that's a, politically, that's a political move. You're support, that's, you are politically active, congratulations. And they're powerful things when combined with thousands of others' actions. It shows those at the other end of those actions where the public sentiment is. And it's really important. You, you already make political choices every single day. You do. So make the choice to let your voice be heard outside of an election cycle. I'll put um, our Prime Minister uh, and our Environment Minister's uh, fax numbers in the show notes. I'll, I'll get rid into in a sec. It won't take long. Now, look, bear in mind, when you do write your fax, when you do write your letter, be polite, use only facts, don't type in all caps, don't be snarky, this is not an internet argument. Be professional. State your concerns. Ask questions. Keep on message. Keep on message. It may be tempting to write about climate change and offshore detention and Indigenous incarceration rates and the Yes and all other sorts of things. Just keep it to one thing. Keep it to one thing. You're a concerned Australian. Your vote counts. Your vote matters to them. Your voice is important. Your voice is as important as, as anybody else's. Because this shit is scary. But that's okay. Because I've found and, you know, if you listen to the show, you've heard me talk to quite a number of psychologists on the show about it. I've found that trying to push away the scary stuff or distract myself, it just makes things worse, makes it more scary, makes it more paralyzing. But taking a breath, being an acceptance of it, finding the weird feeling in my body going, okay, there it is. Oh, I got that recognizing that the bewilderment of people who claim to love and want to protect our country are behaving in a way that doesn't do either of those things, that's bewildering. Okay, and then breathing through it and then seeing that I have space for that bewilderment and frustration, that I can feel both of those things and still act with a purpose. I'm not paralyzed by it, but I can still act with kindness, powerfully so if need be. That's an immense relief. I have to do the action to feel better though. So I hope you get a bit of that this week. Whatever it is that's pushing you down, I hope you find a way to get in that space, recognize there it is, understand you you're a powerful person, you can deal with it and do some and act with purpose and act in accordance with your values. You can do it. If you feel like faxing our Prime Minister Scott Morrison, uh, his number is 02-6273-4100. That's 0262734100. And our Environment Minister, Melissa Price. She's lovely. Um, she's over in WA. Her office fax number is 8 uh, 7990 And she's got two, actually. The other one is 8 8860 So, yeah, send them a fax. Tell them hi. Say, hey. Just so you know, I'm a concerned Australian. And da-da-da-da-da-da. Can you let me know what you're going to do about it, please? Love and kisses. Maybe not. Just see you in the next election whatever however you want to sign off yeah do it you'll feel better
2: here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents' plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig
1: So let me tell you about my guest today. Damon Harriman is an extraordinarily fabulous Australian actor best known for his work in the US TV show Justified and the other show which is very very well known for is Mr. In Between. Damon and I first met when I first started working in TV back in the day and I think we even lived we even lived in the same building for a while when I was in Los Angeles. Damon is on the cusp of exploding into the stratosphere. When we spoke I kind of had an idea that it was happening, but he wasn't able to discuss what he was working on while we were recording. However, I knew it would eventually come out, so I can tell you now because it's all over the internet. Damon has been cast in the new Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Damon is playing the role of Charles Manson. It is an astonishingly high-profile gig for him, working with a true legend of cinema, one I I wish I could have spoken with him about, but that's okay. Obviously, you've got to keep something secret when you're – you know, still yet to everybody design sign on the dotted line. But listening to this, you'll get to know more about this remarkable man and the path that he's taken to get to this dizzying, dizzying height. I was particularly interested to talk to him about the seasonal aspect of his job and how he deals with the ebbs and flows of the work because I know that's something that we all deal with, all right? We all, if, if you're striking out on your own, you're trying your own thing or, you know, you're experimenting with a side hustle, there's times when you're super busy and there's times when there's nothing and, and that nothing can be well beyond your control. So what do you do? What, how are you acting with purpose in that time to make sure that the momentum stays in some way, shape or form? And I'm really grateful that Damon went into that. He's a humble guy, lovely man. Uh, he came around to the apartment a couple weeks back now for a cuppa and some uh, irregular dog barking from Frank. So I do hope you enjoy this engaging conversation with an extraordinary Australian, Damon Harriman. Thanks for coming, man. Oh, thanks for having me. I was trying to remember the first time we met. It would have been in the Foxtel building, wouldn't it? Uh, do you think it was the Foxtel building? Yeah.
0: What were you doing at Foxtel
1: at that time? Channel V.
0: Right. And I was, well, I was either doing, the first time I went to Foxtel was to do a kids show called the chin head show, which was uh, essentially my chin with eyes stuck on it upside down, uh, that old trick. Uh, so that was in 96 that I, I was doing that. Um, so I
1: went you, there 99.
0: Oh, okay. Well then it wasn't that show Cause that was done by then. But then I started doing voiceovers for, uh, the W channel. So I would have been coming in to do that.
1: Um,
0: so it probably was around then.
1: Around there. Well, there you go. There you go. Gee, and I think at one point, at one point, we lived in the same building in Los Angeles. Oh,
0: that's right. Goodness. You've got a much better memory than I do. <laughs>
1: um, I'd stop drinking.
0: That yes, day. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, that'll do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, that's right. We, we lived,
1: we lived in the uh, in the West Hollywood, or as uh, others like to call it, the actors' ghetto. Kate <laughs> Behan was in that building, right? Is that
0: right? Was that that uh,
1: building? I don't know if Kate was in that building. Oh no, no, I know the other. But yeah, it was the other yeah, building. Yeah, the I other building. I yeah, yeah, we were. Yeah, um, um, but it was always wonderful to cross paths with you and 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 see you over there because I I lived over there from about two thousand five for about ten years, and. So many Australian actors would, you know, they would come there. and Because oh, I, was, I was there pretty much full time. Whenever Idol wasn't on, I was right. just there. And so many Australian actors would come over It just was like, yeah, fuck yeah, In January, yeah, we'll hang out, we'll do this, we'll do that, and March, bye. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was always nice to see the consistency of you always being there and just going, 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 going. going Bad going. smell. Just kept, kept coming but back. But that is what it takes, though. That is what it takes.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it. I think that you know, ha- having kind of been there a bit now and, and sort of worked out what what is it that makes someone get work there. Um, there are there are a few different versions. I think. I think what, one of the one of the ones that most I think actually most Australian actors have have done to get over there is is they've just happened to have become been in a big hit. Australian film uh, not necessarily a hit actually but an industry hit yeah. you know something um I guess like uh, Chopper would be a good example which wouldn't have been in America a hit movie not a commercial hit but everyone in the industry knew it so Eric Banner was instantly a star so that's one way to do it the other way well, the other way is, is is similar which is being in an American film that was shot in Australia so if you you know happen to be in Star Wars when they shot that, or The Matrix, and you had a decent role when they shot that, then that could be a, an intro. The other way I think is you know uh, the easy easiest version, but again, you know it's it's kind of a, a bit of a genetic lottery, which is that you happen to be very attractive and very young. You know, so if you were if you were a nineteen good looking nineteen year old good looking person, um, then you can often walk in a door there and and someone will sign you up. But then, then you've got me that doesn't tick any of those boxes, which is uh, someone who just kind of keeps going back and uh, I hope something happens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you – but so the difference between keeping going back and hoping something happens, in that space, what are the things that you can control to increase your chances of success? Oh, boy. Gee, if I knew
0: the answer to that, I'd uh, – I should know the answer to that, shouldn't I? Look, um, uh, what I did and I, and i 'm not saying this would necessarily work for everybody, but what I did was not commit to just america and i and I also didn 't just pop over for very short periods. It seems that a lot of uh, my um friends do one of those two things they they either move there they just say i 'm moving to l a and sometimes that works, but often you know years go by, and they're they 're working in a cafe or uh, and and there was no real advantage at all to having moved there, and and then other friends will every sort of you know fourteen months pop over for two weeks, and you kind of go, yeah, that probably doesn't quite work either. Um, so what what I and it wasn't really by plan. I just sort of I guess it was just because I didn't I didn't like either of those versions. I didn't want to move there to live. Um, but, Partly just for practical reasons, I just thought, well, what am I going to live on? I'm just going to bleed through all my savings, and and I was getting work in Australia. You know, this is we're talking about. You know, 2004 five now when I first sort of went over there properly. Um, I was starting to get a bit of work in Australia. Love my way had just been made here, so which was a, which was a, a cool TV series that that was on. Um, I wasn't working constantly here, but I was. I was, and I was doing voiceovers, so I was, I was able to pay my way. So I didn't want to just give up that that um, salary, really. You know, I, that that guaranteed kind of constant uh, work. Certainly, in, in, in regards to voiceovers, it was constant enough. So for me, it was just that was the only version that worked. It would be, I would think, okay, I'll go over to America for three months, and then. If it doesn't work out, I haven't spent too much money. And it was also never a psychological – too much of a psychological downer. To go to America for three months, uh, if nothing came about, I'd be like, well, that's all right. That was three months of my life. It's not a big deal. And then I'd come home and do some more voiceovers, hopefully hopefully, get another acting job. And, and then, you know, maybe four or five months later, I'd go back for three months. And so that's kind of how I started doing it. And the first two trips I did um, – Absolutely nothing happened, and it was... And, and, and you know, I'm I'm a realist with all this stuff. I I, I never kind of have been someone to go, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to show them and they're going to take me on and I'm going to be a star. Like I
1: I I've just been like, oh,
2: why why would
1: they hire me? Because the of? billboard is like you get off the plane at LAX and you get off at a Marvel contract. Right, Boom, right, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you
0: hear that story because that story has happened three times ever, <laughs> but that's the <laughs> that's the story that you everyone's holding on to. Yeah, so the first couple of trips, you know, virtually I didn't get any work, but I also virtually got no auditions. So I actually only it, it was a real sliding doors thing, me even continuing to go there because I, I'd um, I'd done two trips there, went okay, nothing's happened, I'm going to do one more trip. I'm not going to I'm not going to be that guy that just keeps coming back because I, I again I was being realistic. I was like, well, why why are they going to cast me? You know, I'm a thirty a something year old character actor. Who, whose work they don't know, you know, <laughs> um, and uh, it just so happened that on that third trip, which was definitely going to be my final trip, um, I got one guest role in one TV show and that completely changed my mindset on the whole thing yeah. because it
1: suddenly seemed like a possibility. It's, it's interesting you, you talked about the actors that go there and stay but, you know, they, they don't get back on the plane but they don't get back in the room. They... You know, just get a job in a cafe or whatever, and i can I, as someone who and i 've just finished writing, I just handed in my book my memoir the oh, other wow. day cool it memoir it 's a half time report i 'm forty four <laughs> um, but I get the idea that at the time that I went over there was the absolute monstrous peakest of peaks of idle. Insanity, right. all right? right? And I remember, like, walking down the street in Bondi. Fair enough, I was in Bondi, but walking down the street. People running across the street to grab my hair. Right. Trying to pull it, thinking it was a wig, <laughs> all right? Total strangers <laughs> running up to me, grabbing me, pushing me, you know, people wow. pulling up next to me on the highway, taking photos. with the, And like I get to America, I'm like, oh, this is fucking great. I could just kind of walk around. Yeah. So it makes sense then that when I'm in Los Angeles and I'm at this bar, and it's run by someone who was a fucking megastar on Home and Away. And you're like, okay, I'll get it. i get what, oh, you've come here to just right. live and mm. be. And maybe the acting thing isn't for you anymore, but being in Australia isn't for you anymore either. And, okay, I'll get it. Yeah. yeah. And there's a few of those people, I'm not want to name names, but there's a few of those people, and I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. You just go, okay, all right, I get that. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you do occasionally see um the you know, yeah, the people who are incredibly well known here or in England. I remember seeing um Robbie Williams at a bar once when he was massive here, you know, when he was absolutely at his peak, and in England. And uh you know, no like he was just there with a friend, no one looking at it. I was kinda of like how did, how, that's Robbie? He's kind of the biggest star in the world right now, isn't he? I, well, I guess not
1: in that part of the world. He's not. No. Um couldn't crack it. No, isn't that wild? You know, the guy. The guy could. The, at that point, I remember it was about what two thousand and six, two thousand and five. He he could have just even if he could just played there a month ago, he could say all right, I'm playing such and such a stadium. It would sell out in a day yeah. and he would hold 50,000 people in the palm of his hand for mm. three straight hours mm. and he'd have to go to a bar in LA and wait for a, wait for a beer like everybody else. Yeah. But they just it's interesting how some, some things just don't work in America.
0: It is really, really strange. I know that's right. Out here I remember he was supported by someone who was a much bigger act in America. It might have been... It might have been Duran Duran or something, where his mm. support act here, and then, but they were playing the Hollywood Bowl in America. Still, you know, yeah. it's, just, it's just funny how those things happen. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's it it is it is super interesting. Just to, to hit, hit rewind for a second there, I'm kind of we'll come back to the 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 guest role in the TV show and and what that did for you, but I'm I'm, I'm kind of interested in because uh, I I you know have done. Uh, voiceovers in my past, and it is a it's a cracking way uh, to to make a bit of coin. I mm-hmm. think my my peak voiceover moment was I was the voice for Coco the monkey. Oh wow! I never got to say the tag though. They changed the campaign by then. Just like a chocolate milkshake, any crunchy? Never, is that got that? To, never got to say it. Oh, that's a that's I sad. sad. I was, it's okay. Can okay. you, do you want to say, say it got, now? I've got, ten, Go on. I've, got, I've got 10 TVCs or so out of it. Got a <laughs> two-year campaign out of it, David. It was pretty good. <laughs> I want to know how you would have said it. it? Um, Coco. Uh, oh, so, sorry, I got you by your old name, See, We were actually no, that's frankly, fine, that's Actually, fine. going back so far. Uh, that's fine. That's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Um, Coco, the whole campaign was he was running around. He was riding, uh, running a race with a whole cast of characters that they'd invented to live in the jungle with Coco the monkey. And... Um, uh, we're all going to race the Cocoa Pops Cup, yeah! If you like, purchase a special packet, you can. Da-da-da-da-da. He was like that, right. Was like, yeah, yeah. right? and it was directed down the phone from some guy from IDO or, or BBMG or one of those massive kind of advertising agencies in Chicago. Oh wow! It uh, was directing it over the phone wow. down down Song Songzoo in in North Sydney. Right. Here, that mm-hmm. was wild. Uh, but well, that
0: yeah. was a very different voice because the old voice was a. It was some kind of putting on a
1: an accent, culturally appropriate. Yeah, it it, it was. It was, 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 yeah. Yeah, He was very Australian. They went for a very very Australian thing. So, what did you did? We're talking in Sydney right now. Was Sydney the place where you did the growing up part? No, I grew up in in Adelaide mostly.
0: I'm born in Adelaide, moved to Alice Springs for five years when I was three, uh, just because of dad's work. Moved back to Adelaide, and then when I was eighteen, I moved to Sydney. I'd been acting a lot as a kid, I acted a lot between sort of ten and twelve. Started on the Sullivans, if anyone remembers that. Anyone old enough to remember that show. Uh and then yeah, did a lot of acting as a kid, went to high school in, in back in Adelaide and then at eighteen my dad got a, a job transfer to Sydney and I what decided kid to was come. Your dad? He was in insurance, nothing too exciting. But, uh, okay, he was, uh, but he hey visiting. kids, are
1: moving to Alice Springs. What's that? <laughs> you'll find out. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great actually. It was a pretty awesome place to, to, to spend money. What do you my... remember about Alice Springs in the, I'm guessing it's the
0: mid-80s. What do you remember well, about uh, it? Thank you. I appreciate you um, making me uh, 10 years younger than I am. But uh, no, it, was, it was it was the 70s actually, well, late 70s. Uh, not a lot because I was quite young. I mean I left there when I was eight. But I just, I, I remember it being very hot and uh, very dry and going on, you know, day trips. But day trips to other hot, dry places, you know, you'd be going to kind of um some chasm thing with you know incredible kind of cliff sides or you'd go and see some rock formation that has a hole in it that you could walk through like that would be a day trip that was kind of the stuff that you did yeah. but it was a fun you know as a kid it was it was a fun place to be and i i, I keep meaning to go back cuz i haven't been back there since i was a kid really no when i was 13 i did one trip but i haven't been back since
1: it's i've been lucky enough to go back there a few times with with work right. it's 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 pretty extraordinary it is confronting uh if you are a person who is willing to have your eyes open to the continuing effects of you know european colonialism on an entire nation yeah uh it's confronting Mm. if you just drive three k's out of town and you're like oh shit yeah these people are australians right and they're living under a tin shed yes fuck <laughs> it's, right. it's like but or you could just oh, look the other way with Donald Rangers look at that it's like <laughs> right. beautiful sunset uh, yeah. you know yeah uh, so you know if you're willing to look at look at things and just you know not say if it's good or it's bad but at least just accept that it's there it can be it can be confronting mm. but you know that's our, that's our country and a lot of people here in this country maybe don't want to accept that That sort of thing happens. I'm not saying if it's good. I'm not saying if it's bad. I'm not saying the policies are right or wrong. I'm just saying that it is. Yeah, you know. Um, I certainly remember in the 70s that would have been like full Pine Gap town, like full arms race. A lot of Americans. A lot of Americans. A lot of Americans. It was the first time I'd uh,
0: heard of uh, Halloween. I mean, we in Australia. I mean, we. still don't do it much here, do we? do it a little really. bit. But I think in certain streets of certain cities, people yeah. go door knocking for lollies. But, um, yeah, we I remember as a kid in Alice Springs, because there were so many American kids, you actually did dress up and go trick-or-treating, which is really weird because this it, it did not happen anywhere else. But,
1: so you went to school with American kids? Yeah,
0: I went to school with, with a few American kids. Look, you know, I, I, I wish my memories were stronger of that time, but I was such a, a, a little kid.
1: You should go out. Go out before you go away again. Mm. Just go out. I mean, winter's an extraordinary time. It's cold as shit in the wintertime, time. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But it's an extraordinary time of year to go out there. Mm. And um, well, I remember we did a, if you remember, there was a television show called The Flying Doctors. I did, and I did, did opening, a couple of episodes of The Flying but, Doctors. Okay, yeah. so the opening credits where. The plane does this massive banking turn over, yep. this extraordinary rainbow lake or rainbow. We did a the big long Ian Leslie, like walk across the salt pan with the Mirage mm-hmm. coming up. So the light was bending my feet and knees, yep. jacket over the shoulder, long walk towards <laughs> the camera. Um, we did that shot right. for the opening of this documentary we're shooting out there. And you know every now and again, in between takes, you just stand around and just go, like it was me, a camo, a producer and a soundie. And you just look around and go, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, besides these three people, I can't see one man-made object to yeah. the horizon in any direction. Yeah. It's extraordinary to have that experience, like to stand there and like not see a house mm. or or, or a car, or a telephone pole, or any any man made object, <laughs> yeah. to, the, to the
0: horizon. Yeah, it was a pretty. I mean, when when I was there, there were no traffic lights. It was that. It was that smaller town, you know. And I remember, you know, our house was in suburbia, but it was kind of the edge of suburbia. So if you walked out the back gate of our house, you were just
1: in desert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It was. Yeah. <laughs> What do you, uh, people tend to forget about Adelaide when they think about Australia. And certainly in the States, you would have had this question 50,000 times Sydney or Melbourne? <laughs> yeah. Adelaide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what do you remember about Adelaide as a, as a teenager? <clears throat> I loved it. So I grew, I grew up Adelaide. there. Oh, you did? Yeah, as a little uh, kid. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I lived there again when I worked
0: at SAFM. Right. SAFM. Well that was the that was the I don't know what you know, I haven't been there I'm I'm not of the hip age group to know what's hip there now, but SAFM as a teenager was that's who you wanted to be listening to. Oh, that yeah. was the cool station. Um and they sponsored all the cool stuff. Skyfire.
1: Yeah. Bonifa' Park. This New
0: Year's Eve. Yes, right. Oh, yeah. Skyfire. There was something else that they used to do too, where you'd go and listen to you'd tune your radio to SAFM and then be fireworks. Or so it sounds like a simple Skyfire. Yeah. Um had a different name when I was a kid. I'm gonna someone's gonna have to um, write into you about that.
1: Riverfire might have been. No, that's the one we did in Brisbane. Um,
0: anyway. Anyway. It'll, it'll come to me. I, I loved growing up in Adelaide. I really did. It, it, it's an easy place to grow up as a kid, you know. Um, it was just my memories are very rosy it's just I, I think of dry sunny days and wide streets and easy to get around and playing cricket in the nets and it's as an adult i don't imagine that i would ever move back there to live although i do spend a lot of time there um still um, i mean not a lot of time but i go there every every christmas and I'm, I'm often there one other time in the year and i don't imagine i'd ever move back there but but as a kid i absolutely loved it
1: it's pretty – when you go back there, it was all uh, Lithuanian relatives. They got off the boat in 1949. Uh, There's like 112 Lithos got off the boat and then boom, Lithuanian community. And so wow. they're all there or my that side of my family is all still there. And you go there and you see you live how many kilometers from the CBD? Right. And, and you paid how much money for the- how yeah. big is this place? Yeah,
0: yeah, Fuck. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, what? I mean, it's not not like it used to be. It's gone up a bit, but yeah, I mean, the, the houses you could get for the you know you
1: get a a cupboard in Sydney. <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah, there is though. As an adult, when I moved back there, I was twenty four. I, I started to become aware of the darkness that does fringe Adelaide, right? Of which there is, yeah. The, a fair amount of of, of documented evidence.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know I've often thought about this since about, you know, because – Oh, you know, the, oh, we're obviously talking about some of the, the the murders and things that have taken place there. And it's statistically, it's not uh, it's not even close to uh, you know Sydney in terms of murder. But it, but it, but it does have some particularly famous grisly murders, and I think that's what it's famous for. And often children and, and teenagers. And it started with the Beaumont children yeah. who went missing, and then a couple of girls who went missing from the Adelaide Oval, and and then the murders of in the seventies and eighties of they called the family murders, which was a uh, a bunch of uh, teenage boys who went missing or and were often found and had uh, had horrible things happen and it's actually yeah I've, I've i've since thought and even said to my dad you know yeah I, I, I can't believe i used to walk to school by myself in that time like when i think back now yeah that was that was the time that that was yeah, happening yeah you know? yeah yeah and and it, it it just goes to show you that even in that time, the mindset was we're in a big country town, I guess.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. uh... The my Children run always freaked me out. there were two, two kids, three kids. Three kids. Three kids on a packed day in Glenelg. Absolutely mm. packed. Yeah, they... Australia, 26th of January.
0: Mum, that's right. Mum and Dad gave them some money to catch a, a bus or a tram down to Glenelg Beach. Yeah. And they were seen playing on the beach. They were seen at some point talking to a guy who yeah. was a youngish guy, apparently, and yeah. um, and, uh, yeah, it was a really eerie thing that the last time that, that anyone saw them, they, they were in a bakery buying pies and pasties with a pound note and their parents had only given them coins. Yeah. And that's the last time they were seen. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's And to this day no one has any idea what yeah. happened to those three kids and I think the parents are still alive. Oh. That's now been, I don't know, 55 years Jesus. or something, you
1: know. Oh, my God. Yeah, so – I remember when I first got to Adelaide as an adult to, to work at that radio station, I had this big skateboard and I had hair down on my butt. Uh, I was playing in a band and I left the band to go see the radio thing and I'd ridden my skateboard from uh, pretty much Rundle Street uh, out of the city across the park and to where SAFM was, which was on the other side of the park, right? And as the sun was going down, it was my first day, I was like, all right, so I'm, I'm staying in town, so I'm going to just ride my skateboard back in there Reception was like, oh no 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 no! I'll call you taxi. It's like, what do you mean? She goes, you can't you can't walk across the park. Not with that hair. No 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 no. You'll turn up in the torrents. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? But everyone was like, oh no no no, you can't walk down the street with long hair after dark. Wow. This is 1998.
0: Wow. I mean, I that seems that does seem a little overkill, but. You know, I, I left there in 1988 and, you and, uh, look, yeah, I, pro- I probably wasn't walking through parks at, at late at night either, but, <laughs> um, yeah, wow. Well.
1: How did you start the acting thing? Like you said you were starting in the Sullivans. How do you get in the Sullivans in Adelaide?
0: Well, um, what happened? I, when we were living in Alice Springs, my dad, um, through a friend, got into doing some radio ads, funnily enough. As a eight, VO guy? For AHA, yes. Yeah, as a well, VO well, guy. I've, there were tapes... Somewhere that, um, yeah, I don't know. If, he was okay. He was okay. I don't think it was his, I think, I don't think it was his forte, but um, he, he had some ads come up where they needed a father and son and he suggested me. So I ended up doing these ads with my dad and we were just about to move back to Adelaide uh, from Alice Springs. And because I'd done these ads and sort of perhaps shown a bit of promise uh, in these radio commercials, and also I think I'd been making up characters and doing little performances as a seven-year-old, sounds very annoying, doesn't it? Um, but but you know, pretending to be old men and all that sort of thing that you kids often do. My dad wrote a letter to Peter Weir, the, the Australian film director. Oh, just as you, hate as Pete. you do. <laughs> as you do. Um, I don't know how he got an address for Peter Weir, but Peter Weir, you know, had, had obviously at that point made. Picnic at Hanging Rock and I think The Last Wave. And so he was the famous Australian film director. Nice and, work
1: on your rock film. Hey, yeah, my yeah. little kid. Well,
0: my, my kid. <laughs> uh, he wrote to him saying, we're about to move to Adelaide. What do you suggest? I think my son might be, be able to be an actor. And uh, Peter Wee wrote back. God. I still have the letter. Oh, my God. And uh, very kindly wrote back to say, look, go and see this agent in, in South Australia. and uh, And we did and I ended up signing with her, did a bunch of, TV commercials, and then the Sullivan's was the first sort of acting job that came out of it, which um, uh, d- yeah came about through and and it's uh, just a general audition actually, um, and then. Yeah, this role came up in the Sullivans. That led to a bunch of other stuff that happened between age 10 to 12 um, that that meant I was probably acting more often than than I wasn't in that time. It was fairly constant. Then I got a bit over it, wanted to just concentrate on high school, kind of gave up. I did a little bit here and there. And then when I finished high school, I didn't really know what else to do. So I sort of fell back into it. And then that combined with Dad moving to Sydney, it seemed like, well, maybe maybe I should, uh, you know, take it up again and and kind of look into it mm. seriously. And um, it was a bit harder than I expected. I think I thought because I'd already done a bunch of stuff, I'd just go back into it. But, of course, I was an adult now and I was a kid when I'd kind of done it last. So it did take a while to get, to get back into it. And I, I did a few guesty things here and there. And I guess the first kind of cool thing that happened around that time that that sort of felt like, oh, okay, I'm back into this, was um, a film called The Big Steel, which some people might remember from that time with uh, Ben Mendelssohn and Claudia Carvin and Steve Bisley and a bunch of other people. Um, and I got I got a role in that, and that kind of felt like, okay, I'm 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 back into the, you know, back into the game again. Um, not that it suddenly became constant work after that, but it just it, again it was a bit like
1: getting that first job in America. It was that thing of going, yeah. "Oh,
0: okay, I, I, it's possible to get a job again."
1: I love, I love that. A, your father wrote to like <laughs> my son's into this. Who should, who should I write to? <laughs> oh, it was like the, the way the world once worked. So I'll write to oh, this person's of profile. I'll write to Peter Weir. He's mm. just had, I've seen his name in the paper. Yeah, I'll write to him. Yeah, and then Peter Weir writes back. Mm. That, that is like that I'm the busiest man in the world. I'm trying to get films made. I'm shooting on film. I'm, yeah. You know, working with telexes. I <laughs> I'm trying to – oh, my goodness. And yeah. you've still got this letter.
0: Still got that letter. What does yeah. it say? Yeah. Um, I think it says something like – I mean, I, I've, I've got it at home. I'm will Oh, I should uh, take a photo and, and, uh, and email it to you. But uh, I think it says something like, you know, dear Mr. Harriman, thank you for your inquiry. What I would suggest is that you look up um, an agent called South Australian Casting in Adelaide when you get there. And they, I think they were the only agent there uh, at the time. And, um, you know, all the best. And it's, you know, dated whatever, 1977 or 78 or something. I mean, and had a flamboyant and, signature. A very flamboyant Peter Weir signature. Um, and I, I met him many years later and, and, and told him that story. And, uh, what did you and, Oh, he was he, – I think he was uh, – I thought it was, you know, chuffed that he, he'd uh, – because he, he, he said, oh, did I write back? I said, yeah, you did. I've still got the letter. And, in fact, I've, I've become really good friends with his daughter since who's a really um, talented designer. So, um, yeah,
1: amazing. That's – look, that's just uh, – it's an old way of doing things, but I guess it is the way that he was taught. You know, if someone writes to you, you write back. If someone asks you for help, you you, know, you help, know. Well, that's, them that, that's, you know, that thing of, you know, you don't even really think about – I, I don't even do – does
0: fan mail even exist as a thing now? I'm thinking no, like
1: – really. Not when you can directly tweet Kim Kardashian and have yeah. her either love heart your thing or write back and go, thanks, Bay. Mm. Why would you write a letter to someone?
0: Yeah, because I remember – you know, as a kid, you'd be on shows and people would would be getting fan mail. And I think, you know, when I was on the Sullivans, I might have got three letters or something. But there were people who were getting 20 a week, you know. And a couple of people, I can't remember who now, but you would say, yeah, I write back to every letter. I mean, when you think about the time that that would take, you would be writing a lot of letters. But, um, yeah, that was the kind of way, wasn't it? People would write letters to famous people and... At the very least they'd get back a standard kind of card with a
1: printed signature or something, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Signed eight by ten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Old star. Yeah, when I started at Channel V, I remember getting getting things in the mail and it was just it blew my mind. It's like someone sat down and they spent time. They picked stationery.
0: And they yeah. Did this. Well I've had so little fan mail in my life, um, that that I, I think I have written back to 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 every fan mail, but I've probably in my life received, you know, 12. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's not a huge brag To
1: say I've written back To
0: all my fan about.
1: Sullivan's Sullivan's At the time I mean you think about Who's in that cast I mean, that's You know Now but just legacy Australian acting Right Loyalty Those people uh, And being on a You know a TV show like that is a certain method and way of, of of working. What do you remember about being on that big film set, the uh, the big steel? What do you remember about seeing that all, all that stuff?
0: Oh, I was I was so excited when the big Steal happened. I, I was it was one of the most exciting calls as an actor that I've ever got because it was just I couldn't believe firstly that I was going to be in a movie. I'd never been in a in a film before. I'd, I'd been a big fan of Malcolm, which was the film that Nadia Tass and David Parker, the filmmaking team, had made, had kind of made their name on, and this you know, this film was going to be with Ben Mendelsohn, who'd, who who I knew from watching The Henderson Kids, uh, The Year My Voice Broke was out by that stage, and Claudia Carvin had a bit of a name from uh, a film called High Tide that she'd done, so... I just couldn't believe that I was going to be in a movie that was going to be on at the cinema and working with these people. And Steve Bisley, who had actually played my dad 10 years earlier. So it was awesome. You know, I, I went to – we stayed in Melbourne because that's that's where it shot um, and, you know, made great friendships with people like Ben and Claudia that have lasted to, to today. Yeah, it was an incredible time. And and then the film came out and and – You know, it was received well, but it wasn't a huge commercial hit. It was was sort of just before that run of Australian hits like Strictly Ballroom and Muriel's Wedding and Priscilla. They came just a few years later. This was released in 90, and it did okay, but it it seemed to be a a lot more successful and a lot more known in the time since it was at the cinema. I, I, I have... There are a lot of people um, to this day that say, oh, that's my favourite Australian film. Uh, but they never saw it at the cinema. They saw it on DVD or on TV
1: later. Mm. Yeah. I did. I mean, it's great that you mentioned Malcolm. You know, when I, have, I must have watched it five times right. uh, on VHS. So clever. When I, was, when I was a kid. But only now when I think about it, it's like, oh, oh, Colin Frills was playing someone kind of on the spectrum. Oh, Oh, it's like only now do I kind of get it. Only now. Like he was a very, very clever, mechanically clever man. Yeah. But no social skill, no ability to to connect. uh, No. I mean that
0: genius, uh, I mean if this was in a a big American film that everyone knew, it would be considered one of the great screen moments in a comedy ever where that car splits in two with one just push of a lever on the thing and it becomes two essentially two motorbikes. I mean. That is brilliant that that's su- no, no one had thought of that before. Such so. an
1: extraordinary moment and that, you know, in a time before CGI on yeah. an Australian props budget they yeah. built it. Yeah,
0: and it was when they were, that's right, they just robbed a bank or something <laughs> yeah. and they were being chased by the cops. Yeah. They just pull a lever in the car, splits into two and goes off in different directions so the cops don't know who to chase. I mean, it's just it's genius. I mean, that was all uh, David Parker who who um, who wrote the films uh, he also was the cinematographer on the films and in the case of Malcolm I'm pretty sure he built those weird contraptions as wow. well
1: wow yeah uh, in your in your career do you do you like it when you're working with someone who like James Cameron style like the one with the eye in the eyepiece is the one is directing is the one that wrote it do you like working that way yeah, I mean, it's, it's very rare to have somebody who actually is looking in the camera who's also
0: directing. But writer-directors, yeah, that's always a really cool thing because you know there's only, they're the only person who you ultimately want to get the opinion of. You know, sometimes when there is a director and a writer, you are wanting to honour the writer's vision, but you know that, well, it's handed over to the director now, so I'm kind of supposed to ask them, but I really do know. I do want to know what the writer wanted here, mm. you know, so it can, it can get a bit tricky. Um, whereas with the writer director, it's theirs, it's just all them. And, um, yes, there are other people who have to have a say on stuff. There are producers who get a say on things like the final cut perhaps, but, um, in that moment on set when you have a question, it's it's great to know that the person you're asking is is the
1: one who's got the vision of the whole thing. I'm interested to know the difference between your experience on that first big Australian film. Oh, my God, here we are. Look at those big Mole Richardson lights. <gasps> and there's someone here with a clipboard. Wow. <laughs> you know, what was the difference between that and your first experience on a significantly budgeted American film? Uh. I, I think I was mostly surprised about how
0: similar it was. I th- the thing you, you notice in America uh, really on a, on a film or TV set is just that there's more of everything. Um, otherwise, it sort of feels the same. So there are more crew. There are more trailers and trucks and things. Um, there's more food. You know, there's food. There's a... What they call the craft services table, which is just a table filled with donuts and chocolates and gum, and that's just sitting there all day. And you know, even at lunch, there are, there's not just, you know, in Australia with catering, it's like, oh, what's for lunch today? And there's a thing that's for lunch, you know, or you know, it's I'm, chicken, it's chicken, or yeah. chicken, yeah, you know, there'll be a couple of options, but. You know, you, on an American production, there are, well, you know, there's this, there's this, there's the taco guy over there, there's that pig on a spit there. Like, it's just a ridiculous amount of food options, you know. So, every, there's just more of everything. But we can I can get think,
1: something for you if you don't like any of that, Mr. Remember, <laughs> we can get something. It's no problem. We're not back. Bells is, we're not getting first bells for 40 minutes. We can have time to go get something if you like it. We can get it right now. No, no, it's all right. That's true. Jose, come over here. Well, there is also that, actually. That's a good point. You reminded me then, too, that
0: there is that, you know, for an Australian, almost uncomfortable amount of service coming at you from people who want to make sure that you're okay. Mm. You get that here too, but people are also just a bit more like, ah, you know, he, he's he's all right, but uh, and you are all right. But in America, they they kind of it's it's that really service driven uh, hierarchical hierarchy. Kickle, if I said that right. Uh, Let's thing. say yes. Le- the hierarchical hierarchy hierarchy, where there's a a sense that oh, if there's an actor on set mm. that they have to be have have a drink and they have to have, be seated and they have to have an umbrella over their head and be warm. Yeah, yeah you know. be warm. And um, but look, when you're actually shooting and 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 other other than that, it, it sort of feels the same.
1: Mm. I, it's interesting you mention that because I. I've never been one, my mum worked for the military for a long time, but I've never been one to be ever drawn to that. However, on a on a big shoot, there is something like the hierarchy of the chain of command and all that kind of stuff that I was like, oh, everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah. Everybody's got a job. Everyone only does their job because it's all super unionized and there's demarcation. Like I can't touch a microphone to take it off me. I have to wait for the audio guy to take the mic off me, even though I know how to do it. Right, I cannot touch it because then everyone will walk off. Okay, so I'll yeah, just, that's
0: that's what that's another big difference. You keep reminding me of differences, actually. Yeah, in Australia, you know, if you wanted to, you could help move a table on set if somebody was grabbing one end and you see they had to move. You on an American set, you absolutely can't do it unless you're in the set dressing department, you will not touch that table. You're not, you know, they, and you forget that sometimes. They don't get angry. They're just sort of like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you moving that piece of gaffer tape
1: (laughs) slightly to the left? That's not your job. Yeah. So you're talking about the marks on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have spoken to, uh, in my my time working uh, for radio in the States, I spoke to a number of, you know, directors and I asked them about the difference between Australian actors and, and actors from America and they always say work ethic. Do you notice that? I notice they say that, yeah.
0: Do I notice that there's a better work think I think it depends on the actor a lot of the time. I think there is probably less likely to be privadonna behaviour with Australians, you know. I think that, not that it doesn't happen, but it just, we're just generally more down to earth to start with. I think we generally think we're lucky when, when we get a cool acting job and, and we're appreciative. We don't, you know, there's usually some, someone in someone's life, whether it's family or, or mates who are, who will keep you down to earth if you start to uh, get a bit full of yourself. There are definitely exceptions to that. Um, and I've certainly worked with Australians who thought a bit too much of themselves and, and the nicest, sweetest, most down to earth Americans. But you're probably more likely to get. I, I think. I think when you hear quotes like that, it's referring to some big Australian star who is just so such a dream to work with. Probably like a Hugh Jackman or something like that. Whereas the equivalent massive star in America might be a bit more problematic.
1: Mm. Maintenance. There's a lot of maintenance involved. Yes,
0: yes. Yeah, to get. Yeah, that whole thing of like we've been waiting for three hours, they won't come out of their trailer. Oh, you don't man. hear that here really. There's
1: no, there's no there's version three of three hours. Like that's that. $300,000 of a budget that's right. just, just vanished right. because you don't want to come out of your trailer. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: It's, it's – And I guess, yeah, you hear occasionally those stories. I've never had this happen, but occasionally you hear those stories of, you know, again, more so in America, of an actor who – will do their lines when they're on camera but when the camera turns around to be on you, they leave and someone else just stands in and does their lines and, yeah, I've never come across that in Australia.
1: I've never come across that there either but I've heard about it there. Yeah, uh, that is a, that's a respect thing that is as far as, you know, two actors working together, mm. it's very I'm, gonna, I'm not an actor, but I can only imagine that It's very difficult to – because then you're Siri and McClellan, you know, just like yelling at tennis balls on sticks. Right.
0: Yeah. You're, you're, given, given that, you know, a big part of acting is listening and communicating with the other person, it's going to change if the other person is not the
1: person yeah.
0: that was there before. Yeah,
1: yeah. What do you, uh, you know, what do you like about acting? Why do you like it? That's I find that's such a hard question and it
0: shouldn't be <laughs> because sometimes I think, well, I like that it's the thing I, I'm doing and I got to do it. It's almost like, well, this is a good default for life. I, you know, I, I wish I could be one of those people who gets very passionate about acting and kind of waxes lyrical about what it means to them and, and to the world. But for me, I, I think maybe also because I started very young it's just the thing that I've been doing since I was a kid um, uh, and I do I like I like it I like the package of acting I don't always like the actual acting part um, sometimes I do and, and often I do um, but I get you know I, as a lot of actors actually are and, and, and I, the more I do this, the more people I meet, the more I realise I'm not the only one here. But I'm quite an insecure actor. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm in that kind of category of I hope they don't find me out. So far they seem to be thinking I can do this. I hope I don't get caught out. And they go, he's been bullshitting us all along. He can't act. You know, it's a real fear with a lot of actors. And I definitely fall into that camp. So um, so do I like – I don't like that feeling. That's not a, that's not a good feeling. So I don't like that part of it um, but then there are other parts of it where it it feels amazing like if you're doing a play and you have an incredible night where the audience is absolutely hanging on every word and laughing in all the right spots and gives a massive applause at the end, that can be an incredible high or where you have, you know, one of those days where you shoot a scene that's a really important scene, a difficult scene and, it just all goes as you hoped, and it just feels—it feels kind of amazing. You, you know that this—that that—it's—it's it's a hard. I don't know how to kind of comp, what to compare it with. I mean, every, everyone, regardless of their job, would have some version of it in their mm. job. You know, I guess it's like. Baking that cake that you exactly turned out exactly right mm.
1: looks perfect and tasty, tastes right. Or, um, look, surfers five years later will remember that one perfect turn at Uluwatu, right. Right. right? A golfer will right. go oh, off the fairway on right. the fourth in you know 2015 into the wind, right? and never felt the club so good in my head. <laughs> yeah, right. You well, know? that's
0: right. So it's those, it's those
1: moments. But it's seconds. It's it, only it seconds. It is, yeah.
0: And they don't come along that often um, for, for me to getting, getting that feeling. Most of the time I'm just kind of going and, – and I'm very judgmental of myself, you know, and that's, that's not a great thing as an actor either, I don't think. Um, I'm, I'm very – Easily, you know, the amount of days that I've driven home from set, going over scenes in my head as I wished I'd done them, it was just point completely pointless exercise. Um, But yeah, you you just want it to be, you want it to be perfect, and it it pretty much never is. But um, it's also just a great, but it is a great life, you know. If you can work as an actor, you get to work with really fun intelligent, uh, usually creative people and different people all the time. You know, it's not like you're stuck in a rut with the same people every day. You're usually getting to, uh, unless you're on a a really long-term series, even then it changes, you know. You get to work with a lot of different people and it stays interesting, it stays exciting if you know you get you can get paid well for the for the time the downside is that when you're not working you're not getting paid anything so it's a very risky job in terms of security but you know if you're a working actor who can make a decent living you're very 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 lucky and i feel very very lucky hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot
1: Not everyone's going to have the opportunity to be on set and, you know, deliver a line, but everyone's got the thing that they get paid to do, all right, and the person who they're getting paid by to do it. I'm just talk- I'm just thinking about the moment you had driving home, all right? What What... Can you share about how to deal with those moments? Because you know, I'm sure everyone finishes work that day, and the boss is gone. Oh no, no, that's perfect. No, 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 don't worry, it's perfect. No, no, it's great. <laughs> and you know, in your head, you're like, oh, PDF was two pages too long. I could have, oh, I could have made that graphic a little better. Or mm. you know, oh, you know, if you're a teacher, you're like, ah, oh, man, I just I disciplined that kid in the kind of wrong way. I missed a chance there, but you know, parent teachers, they were fine. They were, everybody's mm. cool. What What have you learned about about you know trusting in the people who's who've gone. Well, no, 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 that's good. Cool. Yeah,
0: I, I think. Well, look, I think one of the things that I've had to force myself to 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 tell myself is you can't be terrible, or you wouldn't you wouldn't work you wouldn't work uh, fairly regularly. Like you, you you know you might not be up to the standard that you would like, but you you must be okay. Um, so there's that, that as a sort of a, a starting point. Also, I think when you go home and you – if you feel like, oh, that was a bit of a crappy day, I didn't really love what I did that day, you have to remember that it's that, – that that one day is, is, is scenes that form part of a, a much larger story. So it's not like anyone's just watching those scenes and judging you on that. But more importantly, I think – Often, I've also discovered it's 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 disconcerting, but it's true. Often, your instincts of how you went aren't accurate. I, I find that I find that usually, if it feels like it went well, then it probably did go pretty well. But it doesn't always mean it went bad when it badly when it when it feels like it went badly. Um, I, I remember. Um, Anthony Hayes, uh, a wonderful Australian actor, and I did a film called The Square, an Australian film years ago, and we we finished filming a scene that we had together, a two-hander, um, and we were just like, during the filming of it and afterwards, just like, oh, my God, this is not working. What is ro- – why can't we get this to work? And we both felt it and we both – we're going saying to the director, you know, what it's not we, are we bad, we're not getting this, and both kind of left depressed that day. Going, that's a real shame because that was one of our favorite scenes in the film. And then we watched the film, and the scene's fine like, I mean, it's 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 a good scene, like, it's, it, it, we can't even remember what felt weird about it. So sometimes, what it's a weird thing about acting, and you know, I, I don't know enough about the I never trained as an actor. So I don't really know that much about the ins and outs of, you know, there are different versions of whether you you are meant to feel stuff or whether it's just all external and all that business. But um, it definitely feels better to feel it when you're an actor. It feels right. So, you know, if, if you're in a scene and you are feeling the thing that your character is meant to be feeling, that feels like the scene's working. Um, and so sometimes when you don't feel that, you think, oh, this scene is not working. But when you watch it, what you realise is sometimes, not always, but sometimes just the external kind of autopilot that you t- switched on to took over and it was fine. You didn't have to be feeling the sadness or the anger or whatever it happens to be. Um,
1: you were lucky that day and your face did all the work. <laughs> and so it's entrusting uh, it's that, the the director or the writer or the producer or all those people who are there to oversee, if they're happy, mm-hmm. then whatever you think about it, you know, you've obviously delivered because if they weren't happy, they would say again. Yeah, that's true. And just
0: oh, – You hope that. I mean, sometimes time is a factor and you go, a factor. oh, boy, we've run out of time. I hope they can cut something together. Yeah. But that's the beauty of editing. You can often cut something, <laughs> you know, they, they
1: – they, they remake the film again once the edit starts. They do. You mentioned uh, that you've 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 chosen a career that uh, is not without its fallow times. Is not without its oh, well, uh, that was a good film, but nothing's on the horizon. No one's calling. Right? No one's agents doesn't want to hear my voice. Uh, <laughs> how do you deal with the times in between?
0: Look. Um, I've, I've been through so many different versions of being in work and out of work. Um, at the moment I'm, I'm lucky. And then I'm, I'm sort of having a, 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 a very fortunate run where the gaps aren't so long that it's, that it's a problem. But I, in the past, um, you know, voiceovers definitely were a, an essential fill in for the acting work in between the, the acting jobs. So they, they have often been the, the way I've, paid my bills in between acting work I used to work in an office job when I left high school I actually went to the the insurance company that my dad worked in I worked there for nine years so I, that was my my day job was putting on a shirt and tie and going into an office and then if I got an acting job I would take time off to do it so I, I've sort of been able to you know again I've been a bit lucky in, in that once I left that job when I was 27, that office job, the voiceovers started to pick up, so there was always that. But, um, you, you know, in terms of how do you feel that time when, it, when, you know, you've just six, eight, you know, 12 months sometimes have gone past where there's been not an acting job and you're trying to tell yourself you're still an actor, yeah, it's a bit of a psychological trick you have to play on yourself really. And I, I've sort of found that by trying to write, you know, writing short films or or even longer form things um, has been a a good fill-in for that. Um, Some of the shorts I've ended up making, some comedy sketches I ended up making, the feature scripts that I've half written are still half written and I still go back to those occasionally. But at least it gives you a way of feeling creative, um, doesn't pay any bills. Um, You know, that's, again, that's that's the... struggle with being an actor, and I definitely have good mates who, yeah, are often um, wondering how they're going to uh,
1: uh, pay their rent week to week. It's interesting that you – you, in that space, you know, you are writing – like you mentioned, you're writing sketches. You're writing – that's a very, very short version of a short film, mm. and then, you know, on the, the next version up from that is writing a feature. But – in your day, you're like, okay, there's, there's, there's no auditions, there's no scripts and there's nothing here today, but I am going to exercise that muscle. I'm yeah. going to exercise that muscle that I need to keep fit for when the phone does ring. How am I going to do it? I'm yeah. going to create something. Yeah. And it could be really
0: fun. I mean, I've had, I've had really enjoyable stretches of writing where I haven't wanted to go to bed because I'm so excited by by what I'm writing and then that has never been made. and But still, never see the, but light what
1: of the benefit you got out of it, Damon, that's the thing I'm trying to, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. highlight here is the benefit that you got out of just even though I'm not working right now and everything, you know, it's like, I don't know what how I'm going to pay my rent come September, whatever it is, in three months from now, I'm going to run out of money, the runway is over. But today... Me writing this thing makes me feel, yeah, I've done. This is good. And it, it, it's in the direction of, of where you're going. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not sitting around playing FIFA on PlayStation for 10 hours today. Right. I am doing the thing that is in the same direction of where the rest of my life has, is going. Mm-hmm. And it's keeping that momentum up, even if it's only within myself. Right. It's keeping that momentum up so that when I am face-to-face with someone again, they can see that that momentum is there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. And then it it it, it
0: it then feeds into, I think, even just things like having ideas when you're on set. If you've been writing something yourself, you can be um, exercising that th- those creative muscles in a way that then, when you're on set, trying to fix something maybe as a group in a script, you know, between a couple of actors and a director and a producer working out why something's not working, you're probably more inclined to have an answer to that.
1: Mm, because it is in, a lot of people don't maybe not realise that you know you do it the way it's written on the page, and then you do it again from another angle and then they go, okay, we've got a bit here. What, what have you got? Can mm. you give us something else? So when we get in the editing room, we've got an option. Yeah. And then you kind of figure out, well, what if I turned here? What if we revealed this here? What if I went up? <laughs> <laughs> this was a question. And then that changes everything, you know. Right. that's It's a little those little ideas that can change everything mm-hmm. in, in inside a scene. You mentioned before um, that things changed for you once you got that, that guest role on the big American show, which is then becomes the, it's almost like, uh, it's almost, it's almost like your Olympic qualification time. You know, if you've proven yourself to this level of, of, you know, let 's just say financial risk because that 's ultimately it. you know there are producers involved they 're selling it to a network, the network needs to make sure they make money on it, and this person has proven themselves to be worthy of the investment of the time that 's why we gave them this role and not the other person this role once you 've got that calling card how do the how do the meetings change um, look, just from that first
0: job, it didn 't sort of suddenly change because it was it was a show called The Unit, which wasn't a huge series. It was written and directed by David Mamet, who some people will know as a a playwright and filmmaker. So it was someone who who had a lot of cred who, who ran the show, but being, you know, in two scenes on that show didn't immediately open... Uh, doors, But it, it, it suddenly – well, firstly, it meant I had uh, some American scenes to put on a show reel, which is what you, you know, mm. send round to show people what your work is. So suddenly there was an American – I had done this film, House of Wax, which was an American film shot in Australia. So that was already on there. But suddenly I had a second thing on there and it was mm. a very different character. And so, yeah, I think it then made it just that little bit easier for an agent to get you in a room for another audition because they could say, well, he just did this. Um, And, you know, everybody wants to, especially in America, I think, wants to work with – the people that other people have said is okay to work with. You
1: it's know. like the stock market, isn't it? So right. if, if, it's like the stock market. If people see other people buying a stock, yeah. they won't do any – they'll just go, oh, oh, that stock's on the up. Right. The volume's up. Let's go. Absolutely. It's
0: absolutely that, you know. Um, that Yeah, it's it's really funny. Having having worked so little so many times in so many periods of my career to see that when, when work comes in in a kind of a row, it's often – on the back of things where, you know, I'm not – I'm still the same actor I was before when I wasn't working, but now they're wanting to cast you because someone else cast you. And they're like, oh, well, well, I guess – I guess we can cast him now because they cast him. <laughs> it's just weird how they.
1: Yeah, they want to be sure that they're not the only one making the call and that yes. they're, they're 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 buying stock that's on up, yeah, on, on the up. They're, that always fascinated me about America is that uh, success is not just a currency; it's also the potential of success is right. the currency because everybody yes. everybody wants to. Buy, oh yeah, oh, I cast him in his first. Yeah, blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah. Oh no, I've you know I, I remember seeing him on this thing and I mm-hmm. had to get him. Mm-hmm. And then you know when you're standing up there at the SAG. Awards are like that's my boy, and then they get to then say, "I don't know, I cast him in that thing," and you know, it's all, it's all everybody's kind of quite quite involved in that. When it comes to you, you're preparing right right now for a, a pretty bloody big role, aren't you? I I am. I don't know if I'm allowed to say what it is though. Okay,
0: when fine. does this go to air? Well, and, whenever and, you oh, want. Sure. I mean, whenever I want.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's all right no okay we won't, let's not talk about it but let, let's let me just well, ask you i just want to ask you about the preparation and like yeah because what you're preparing for now is a long way from a guest spot two scenes on a on a network show what you're preparing for for now is uh it's a it's a big biggie feature and it's a it's a biggity big you know big character what's the what's the homework look like a lot of reading a lot of watching it's a it's a a biopic kind of you're playing someone who people already know
0: yes yes. yeah so it's a real life person who uh has a lot of videotape of them that exists and so it's there's not really a a, there's not really an opportunity to do your own version of that you kind of have to do the version, mm. well, I think anyway. with so someone like this, you have to you have to capture this person as closely as possible to what people yeah. have seen, and it's you know if you do get it wrong, people are going to know, and it, you know if they didn't know before, then they can just look him up, and they'll go, oh, yeah.
1: It's like Gary Oliver doing Churchill. It's like you got to be on the money, you right. got it, because there's that much. Everybody knows Churchill's turn of phrase. Yes. They know his cadence. Yes. They know the pitch that he yes. could deliver at. And if you get it wrong, it's like, that's not him. His yeah. voice wasn't that high. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's intimidating. I'm trying not to think about it too much whilst also trying to think about nothing else. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's about a month away from being shot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's really reading a lot of stuff, but it's more about watching really to try and capture his vocal Qualities yeah. and, and physical qualities
1: through the course you you are and you know I remember from the the day I met you one of the more lovely people that I've had the you know benefit to meet. You're a very kind man. You're a very nice man to be around. I would easily, were she still alive, be very happy that you could come over and have dinner with my mum. All right, you know <laughs> that's that's the kind of man you are. And yet I'm in America and I turn on the television and there you are being like the most horrible, horrible sociopathic people (laughs) with neck tattoos and you're angry and racist. And I'm like, fucking hell, man. Like, do you find it tricky to tap into that kind of darkness? Do you find it easy? Like, what kind of work goes into that? Uh, Look, those characters
0: are definitely interesting to play. And I, I, I spent the first 15 years of my adult career, playing the opposite of that, playing just nice guys. And I couldn't break out of that. You know, in The Big Steel, I was a nice guy with glasses. Fifteen years later in Love My Way, I was a nice guy with glasses. Even being able to audition for those roles was difficult. Like I just couldn't get seen for them. So, yeah, are they hard? Everything is hard or easy for me depending on how well it's written, I think. Um, doesn't matter what characteristics the character has it's how well it's written and I think when it's really clear on the page and really well written then it sort of jumps out at you and you kind of go okay I I know what they need for that and then it's kind of a combination of you know for some of those more feral kind of characters it's really I guess stuff you've taken in as a human being walking the earth you kind of see people and you see all sorts of you, you know you might see a news story that has someone very violent on it or you you know see someone in the in the street who is acting a certain way and once you get hair makeup and and costume added to that and you're looking in the mirror you're seeing a certain person the script is has got dialogue of of, of a certain person and yeah it just sort of comes comes together i don't know um, mm. You know, it's kind of a – I don't know the the, the exact science of, of, of how it all works, but it's it's a combination, I guess, of your own experience, how you react to things, behave yourself, combined with how you see others act and behave,
1: combined with what the script is, as is as suggesting. There's an actor that I, I know quite well who, you know, had recently spent – I don't know, it was a very intense shoot. They were on location and – in the UK or something like that he was playing in some darkness it took him about a month to get over it right do you find that this sort of thing lingers with you sometimes or are you the kind of guy who gets in the go okay well oh that's right Luke Cage's on Netflix oh, yeah I might get some
0: Deliveroo later yeah beauty I do tend to be closer to the switch on and off guy I, I think yeah I I Don't really stay in character or anything or or accent even between takes. There are definitely days I've had where there have been heavy scenes. There's a film called The Nightingale that I did in Tasmania last year, which would be out um, probably late 2018, I think, which had some really heavy stuff in it, which was very difficult to shoot and very difficult to just go home and feel like, oh, just another day at the office. It didn't feel like that. Yeah. So, but but that's not so much taking the character home with you as as being kind of shaken
1: by an experience. Well, mm. um, well, that's. But you're, you know, to 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 have an authentic reaction on camera, you do kind of have to, unless you're the most expert person at controlling your micro expressions. Yeah. You kind of have to be in it a bit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, but usually, usually, I I tend to. You know, yes, you hear the stories of, you know, Daniel Day Lewis is uh, Abraham Lincoln for six months. It's, oh, I can't even imagine what that is like. I, I have no idea how that. W- w- is he inside his head going, I'm just pretending? Or is he actually thinking he is like, in his thoughts? I don't know. I
1: don't know how that works. What blows my mind even more is that Steven Spielberg is cool with it. Yeah. That, yeah. That he will say, Mr. Lincoln. Mr. Lincoln. Yeah. Offset and go, Mr. Lincoln, we're just going to you know, do that scene again, mm. here I am explaining to you in your 1840s brain mm. about a digital hard drive that has just corrupted. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> that's true. We have this modern magic box, Mr. Lincoln, that's capturing your image. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, you know, that, that the man that made, you know, that used to sneak onto the Paramount lot, the man that made Jaws, the man who mm. was the youngest ever director of a, of a major motion picture in Hollywood is cool with it. Yeah. You know, that's got to say something about the value of the – what feeds the kind of behavior that we were just talking about before. You know, if a director of that caliber is okay to go along with this person's eccentricities to get what they need on camera – yeah, that that kind of says a bit about. Well, I'm just here to get what I need, man. Yeah, I no, just you know you can do your thing, do whatever you got to do, buddy. It's fine. My left foot was good, but you're not <laughs> that guy anymore. All right, so you do your thing, and I'll be seeing at the Oscar party. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's, that's all I got to do right now. Uh, that's you know that's kind of kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, that is that is kind of interesting. Are you the kind of guy to, you know, when? When it's all said and done, is it like summer camp? Do you're like, Yeah, we'll catch up, it's great to see you and then never talk to those actors again, or are you fortunate enough to click with a few people or you know, Usually you get- usually click with a few people and, and, and stay in
0: touch. It depends on the particular job and the particular people and where everyone lives and yeah. I think that thing of everyone still hanging out after happens more when you're younger, you know, I definitely did that more, you know, you do a job in your twenties and then just everyone is still hanging out for weeks and months afterwards. I think as people get older, they have families and things and it just becomes less likely or possible. And, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I tend to, yeah, definitely. Tend to stay friends with the people that that I've worked with, and and try and and keep in touch. And then sometimes, you know, you'll do like with a film, you you're automatically brought back together again because a year later the film's coming out, so you've kind of got a this really cool kind yeah. of family reunion.
1: Oh right, right. Will you will you sit there in, in the horrible press junkets? Right. Uh, which I've done on my end. Right. I just think, you know, basically it's like uh, someone like Damon will be sitting in a hotel room in in a director's chair and someone like me will be shuffled in every four minutes to ask them the same three questions and they'll do it for five straight days. Yeah. Earth, well I, I
0: I've never done the extreme version like that that that's that's uh you have to be actually famous to do that <laughs> but on, but man. but uh you, yeah I've I've done mini versions of that and I yeah that would be doing that would be you know all day every day and virtually the same questions goodness that would be that would be hard just to kind of keep Focused, you know, I feel like you would f- yeah. feel like you're in, in quicksand after. Just pretend a while.
1: you're in a Meisner class. Isn't Meisner the repetition one? Uh, yeah, that's right. Just pretend you're in a Meisner class. Yeah. Just, just say the same thing over and over and over and over again. People uh, uh, listening from all walks of life, some of them listening will be actors or wanting to be actors or have kids that want to be actors. What would you say to them about? I mean, obviously, the industry now is very different to the industry that you started in. What, yeah. would, you, what would you say to them? Oh, boy. Um,
0: That's a question you get a bit as an actor and it's always a tough one to answer because, you know, I'm doing it and I'm loving it and uh, I'm very lucky and um, I I wouldn't really want to change anything. But I also wouldn't say to just anybody, oh, you should totally do this. It's great because, look, uh, uh, you know, I am a realist and I think I would just say to anybody wanting to go into it, just be a realist about it and accept that, you know, just, just know, d- don't be put off it if it's what you really want to do because it's it, it can be awesome. But just know that a very, very small percentage of the people that want to do it end up doing it. So, you know, I just don't want to convince people to do something that might leave them starving you know mm. you know it's there, there are a lot of people who who want to be actors who are actors who whose majority of earnings don't come from acting they end up having to do something else so just be aware of that i guess also i would say try and get a grasp of what your what your thing is like what what is it because and i'm not saying this because i think this is how it should be i just think this is how it kind of is People, you know, producers and casting people want to get an idea of what are you the actor who does? Are you the girl or guy that does this thing or that thing? Be, be aware of what you're capable of doing because, I, I mean, I know I know these actors, I know um, actors who are really good, like I'm just blown away by how good they are. And then I might mention them to someone else, like a friend who's in casting or whatever, and they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I just don't know quite what to do with them or I don't know quite where they fit. And I think if you're able to get a grasp of what that is that you that you do uh, and what you do well and then make an effort to, to paint that picture, that will make things easier. And if you're a young actor, then, you know, just obvious things like try and get cast in, you know, try and get in, involved in short films. If, 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 if you, you know, look for people advertising for auditions for Tropfest films or uh, plays at smaller theatres where they might be unpaid but you're going to get seen because it's, a, it's got a good reputation, all, all that sort of stuff. But it's a tough one to give a a, a solid piece of. Yeah, I mean, I, I you'd probably find it similar if someone said, "How do I get to do what you do?" It's probably like, well, well, a lot of luck. <laughs> um, well, you know, and, and, and by the way, I say that you know, um, in in no way of saying that you only do what you do through luck. But I feel like most of what I'm getting to do is through luck, and it doesn't mean you you can't also do the thing well that you're doing. But it just timing and luck plays such a big. Hard sure, it, I think.
1: But for me, uh, and I've always found this luck is where hard work meets opportunity. That's right. always been it for me. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. what you just described there, Damon, is, is is perfect. Doesn't even matter if you're an actor or not an actor. There's plenty more people learn never will ever 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 be an actor listening to this. Finding out the thing that you're good at. Mm. And then just going, how do I paint that picture more? How can I just, this is it. This is the thing that I do. I might be, you know, a great swim coach. I might be, you know, the best kindergarten teacher. I might be, you know what, I'm really good at supporting my kids when they're having a a tricky time, you know, with this person, this kid at school. You know, that's the thing that you do really well and find joy in that. Other people will see that. You know, and 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 try to reinforce that. How can I? Get, how can I find a way to get this a little bit better? You know, and that also then you know feeds into the, you know, what am I? You know, I'm kind of in between things. Why am I just you know work on that thing that I already love or really like, but I reckon I could get a little closer to zero. I reckon I could get get that curve a little tighter. Mm-hmm. You know, and that gives you that feeling on the inside that oh, I did something today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, anyway, that that's what that's what works for me. You yeah. Know, is that that feeling of, you know even though right now there's no monetary exchange for what I'm doing, whether it be writing something or making this podcast or or whatever, it's like this is in the direction that I want to go. This is what I like to do. This is what I'm good at. And it serves everything else that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I reckon that's, you know, that's wise words, man. Thank you for that. Um, okay. Good. I'm glad. For that. That um, sense, I, I'm so grateful you came around. I'm so grateful we were able to do this. Yeah, that, me too. That you were able to make it happen, buddy. Oh. I'm mm. so excited for the next six months of your life. Oh, thanks, Asha. I appreciate it. It's going to be good, thanks bro. for me on. It's going to be really good. I'm just going to shoot your photo real quick, okay? Let's do it. Cool. Thank you. That was Damon Harriman. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Make sure if you do get a chance, just... Look, you just download a fax app on your phone or use a website. That's what I use. You can set a fax to our Prime Minister if you like, Scott Morrison. His fax number is 0262734100. That's his number in Canberra. And our Environment Minister, Melissa Price. You can fax her on 089192-8860 or 9921 7990 I'll put both those numbers in the show notes if you like. I'll see you at the gigs in Melbourne, uh, December thirteenth, 14 is sold out. And Brisbane, February 8. If you want to have a meetup, let me know. I'll try and figure it out. I'll try and figure out a central spot or one that works, but I will need someone on point for that because I don't know if I'll be able to be there because I'll be rehearsing and setting up and all that kind of stuff at the gig. But let me know and I'll I'll try and make sure it, it can happen. Um, thank you so much to Rachel Barrett for producing this show, Andy Mar for audio production and exquisite editing. Uh, thank you very much to Mike Mills, Toehider, my my... Um, resident musical genius who i hey mike i need a song it's gonna sound like this here's a youtube video that it reminds me of can you make it sound like that please mike and then an hour and a half later here's a song bro and it's exactly what i dreamed of yeah that's mike he's an extraordinary cat so you'll get to see him live if you come and see the show with me um thanks so much look after yourself until we speak next week sleep well and dream of a beautiful things